Welcome to Salt and Light with Pastor Rodney Finch. Salt and Light is a radio outreach ministry of Calvary Chapel, Cary. Jesus, speak to me. Open your word and reveal your heart to me. Salt and Light is a series of verse-by-verse studies through the Bible, focusing on its practical application to our everyday lives. Salt and Light is recorded live at Calvary Chapel, Cary, in Apex, North Carolina. Stay tuned. At the end of the program, we will give you information on how to contact us, so be sure to have a pen and paper ready. Today, Pastor Ronnie will be teaching from the book of Acts, chapter 27. So grab your Bibles and follow along. Now with today's teaching, here's Pastor Rodney. Acts chapter 19, right around verse 21 Paul said, give me your attention, Paul said, I must also see Rome. I must also see Rome. Why was, so Paul in, why was Paul so intent on seeing Rome? Why did he must see Rome? Well, Paul knew that if he got to Rome, that he could make a difference with the gospel. He knew that if he got to Rome, the gospel then from Rome could spread throughout the whole known world. So Paul, listen, desperately wanted to get to Rome. Now, I don't think Paul going to Rome, here's a little sanctified imagination for you. I don't think Paul went to Rome the way that he thought he was going to go to Rome. I think Paul thought he might go to Rome first class on Carnival Cruise Line. That's not the way he got there. Here's the good thing, though. Here's the good thing. The good thing is that he did get to Rome on an all-expense-paid trip by the Roman Empire, who's picking up the ticket because he's going to get there and he's going to appeal to Caesar. If you've been with us on Sunday mornings, you know that. This morning, we pick up in Acts chapter 27, and we have 44 verses to cover this morning. What, y'all don't believe me? Okay. I can do all things through Christ. Amen? Does anybody believe me? Acts chapter 27, look at verse 1. Saints, if you're with me, say amen. Amen. And when it was decided that we, that would be Luke, because you know that Luke is the writer of the book of Acts. So now Luke joins the team. And when it was decided that we should sail to Italy, they delivered Paul and some other prisoners to one named Julius. Julius was a centurion of the Augustan Regiment or the Augustan band. And so entering the ship of that name, you know, just feel it. You know, we could put in there a ship, a carnival cruise line. It doesn't matter. Entering the ship, we put to sea, meaning to sail along the coast of Asia. Aristarchus, a Macedonian of Thessalonica, was with us. And the next day we landed at Sidon, and Julius treated Paul kindly and gave him liberty to go to his friends and to receive care or to be refreshed. 
And when he had put the sea, when we had put the sea from there, we sailed under the shelter of Cyprus because the winds were contrary. And when we had sailed over the sea, which is off Cilicia and Pamphylia, we came to Myra and a city of Lycia. And there the centurion found an Alexandrian ship sailing to Italy, and he put us on board. And when we had sailed slowly in verse 7, many days, and arrived with difficulty off Sindus, the wind not permitting us to proceed, we sailed under the shelter of Crete off Salmon. And passing it with difficulty, we came to a place called Fair Havens. Doesn't that sound like a bed and breakfast? Maybe I've just given somebody an idea. Fair Haven sounds like a bed and breakfast, but it's not. Near the city of Lycia. Stop right there, saints. Give me your attention. As I said, the we, we're talking about Luke joins the team at this point. And they begin to sail northward, making their way to Italy. There is a man, according to our text, there is a man on the ship who is in charge of the prisoners. And his name is who? Julius. Julius is a centurion. Julius is a brave man. Centurions were brave men. They were disciplined men. They were warriors. Julian is of the Augustan regiment. It's interesting, give me your attention, as you study the Bible, you look through the Gospels and you look through even the book of Acts, and you can see that centurions are always seen in a good light. Centurions are always seen in a good light. Perhaps you remember in Matthew chapter 8, a centurion who, who, who had a servant who was sick, and he sent a message for Jesus to heal his servant. Remember the story? And Jesus said, okay, I'll come to your house. And the servant, or pardon me, the centurion said, Jesus, you don't have to come to my house, but speak the word and my servant shall be healed. And Jesus looked at that centurion. He says, wow, I haven't seen that kind of faith in all of Israel. And then you fast forward to Matthew chapter 27, right about verse 54. There's a different centurion there who looked at Jesus and said, truly, this was the son of God. Centurions are seen in a good light. And then here in our text in Acts chapter 27, we have another centurion seen in a good light as he's allowing Paul to see his friends and to be encouraged and to be refreshed. And so Paul is traveling to Italy with other prisoners. We want to keep in mind that the other prisoners, I would venture to say all the other prisoners except Paul, are headed to Rome. Paul is headed to Rome to have a court session with Caesar. But all the other prisoners, they're not headed to Rome to be heard by Caesar. Actually, some of them, especially the ones who were big, buff, workout guys, they were headed to Rome to become gladiators. And the ones who weren't big, buff, and workout guys were headed to Rome to be food for lions. Remember the movie, The Gladiator? That's very true. And so what we have here is this ship... And, and the ship leaves Sidon. Are you listening? And under they travel under the shelter of Cyprus and over the sea of Cilicia and Pamphylia. And they come to Myra, a city of Lycia. 
And it was at Lycia, did you get this from the text? It was at Lycia that Julius booked their itinerary on a ship for Alexandria sailing to Italy. Look at verse 37. We know on this ship there were 276 people on board. So this is a large ship. It's approximately 270 feet long. They have a displacement of 1,200 tons. These ships weren't fast, but they were sturdy. And so they're sailing slowly under the shelter of Crete off Salmon, and then they come to the place called the Fair Havens. Look at verse 9, if you will. Now when much time had been spent, And sailing was now dangerous because the fast, you're taking notes, that would be about October 5th, A.D. 59, the Day of Atonement. Because of the fast was already over, Paul advised them saying, Men, I perceive that this voyage will end with disaster and much loss, not only of the cargo and the ship, but also of our lives. Nevertheless, the centurion was more persuaded by the helmsman and the owner of the ship than by the things spoken by Paul. And because the harbor that would be Fair Haven was not suitable to winter in, the majority advised to set sail from there also if by any means they could reach Phoenix, a harbor of Crete, opening toward the southwest and the northwest and winter there. So listen, they pull into Fair Havens and there they spend some time and sailing is dangerous at this time. The fast, the Bible says, was already over. Again, we're talking about the Day of Atonement in which all Jews would fast. And so there's winter storms. These storms would begin to blow and Paul knew that they would be taking a big chance to sail during the months of October and November. So Paul says, listen, if we move on, there's going to be much damage, not only to the cargo, but also to our lives. And you want to notice also in our text that the centurion, Julius, believed the captain and the shipmaster, which makes sense. I mean, think about it. Who are you going to believe, a tent maker or a sailor? So Julius believed the captain and the shipmaster. They decided to move forward from Fair Havens so that they could reach Phoenix, which is a harbor of Crete. And Phoenix, by the way, is a party town. They're trying to leave Fair Havens because there's nothing to do in Fair Havens. It's boring. For sailors to pull into Fair Havens is boring. But now they want to get to Phoenix because in Phoenix, well, there's movies and restaurants. And why you know they have movies? They might have. There's fun stuff. And sailors want to get to places where there was fun stuff. I mean, I was a sailor for 13 years, and I personally like to be where there was fun stuff. That was in my B.C. days. That's before Christ, in case y'all don't know. Now I like to be around fun stuff. I mean, (laughs) and these sailors, they're trying to get to Phoenix because it's a party town. It's a place where they can have a good time. And so they leave the fair havens. Notice in verse 13, if you're there, say amen. 
And when the south wind blew softly, listen, saints, supposing that they had obtained their desire, putting out to sea, they sailed close by Crete. But not long after, a tempestuous head wind arose called Euroclidon. So in verse 15, when the ship was caught and could not head into the wind, we let her drive. And running under the shelter of an island called Clauda, we secured the skiff, that's a little boat in the back, with difficulty. And when they had taken it on board, they used cables to undergird the ship. And fearing lest they should run aground on Syrita's sands, they struck sail and so were driven. And because we were exceedingly tempest-tossed, the next day they lightened the ship. And on the third day, we threw the ship's tackle overboard with our own hands. Now, when neither sun nor stars appeared for many days and no small tempest beat on us, all hope that we would be saved was finally given up. But after long abstinence from food, then Paul stood in the midst of them and said, Men, you should have listened to me and not have sailed from Crete and incurred this disaster and loss. And now I urge you to take heart, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. For there stood, here's Paul, Paul says, here's why I know that. Because there stood by me this night an angel of God to whom I belong and whom I serve, saying, do not be afraid, Paul, you must be brought before Caesar. And indeed, God has granted you all those who sail with you. Therefore, Paul says, take heart, men, for saints, look at this, underline this in your neighbor's Bible. (laughs) I believe, who saints? God, that it will be just as it was told to me. However, we must run aground on a certain island. Saints, stop right there. Give me your attention. You want to take note here. Let's get the scene. There is a soft wind blowing in a favorable direction, and all of a sudden, bam, Eurocliden. Eurocliden? What's that, Rodney? I can't even say it. Eurocliden, listen, if you're taking notes, means this a southwest wind raising mighty waves. A southwest wind raising mighty waves. This storm is destructive. So they're traveling along. Things are great. The winds are blowing softly. And then all of a sudden, here comes a destructive storm. Mighty waves. Doesn't that sound like Life. I don't know about you, but, you know, talking about storms, somebody once said this. They said, you're either going in a storm, in the midst of a storm, or coming out of a storm. Can I get a witness? Isn't that true? How many times you've been sailing through life, sailing along? singing a happy song, enjoying life. Things are going well. And then all of a sudden, bam, Eurocliden. I mean, you're just going right through and all of a sudden something happens. 
But life is like that often in the Christian life. You know, storms happen. The Bible, listen to me closely, is full of examples of the various storms of life. And there are different kinds of storms. Perhaps you're taking notes. There's different kinds of storms. First of all, there are what is known as like, as you see in the scriptures, a corrective storm, a corrective storm. Well, you remember Jonah from Veggie Tales. I've learned a lot of deep theology from Veggie Tales. What about you? You can learn a lot about God from vegetables. And you remember Jonah, and you know the story, talking about a corrective storm. He got swallowed up by the whale because he was going in the wrong direction and he didn't go where he was supposed to go. And a storm came. That was a corrective storm. And God, not only in that corrective storm, but God also had a corrective whale waiting for him. Because the story goes on to tell us that Jonah was swallowed up for three days and three nights in the whale. And the whale was seasick from Jonah being in his stomach. And he barfed Jonah up on the beach. I titled a sermon in the past, Barfed Up on the Beach. You ought to order that CD. It's gross. And, 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 the, and the whale barfed Jonah up on the beach because he couldn't keep a good man down. And, and so there are, I'm sorry, there are corrective storms. And not only if you're taking notes, are there corrective storms, but there's also, listen, storms of perfection or perfection storms, storms that are sent in your life to mature you. Job is a classic example of a perfection storm. And you might remember the story as God said to Satan, Satan, where have you been? And Satan said, I've been going to and from throughout the earth. And God said, have you considered my servant Job, who is perfect and upright in all of his ways? And Job lost everything. And the whole point, listen, of this perfective, perfection storm in the life of Job, the point was to mature Job so that he could get to the place to see that God is worthy to be served in any circumstance. To see that God is worthy to be loved in any circumstance. To learn that God is worthy to be worshipped in any circumstance. The perfection storm was sent to Job in order to mature him. You understand so far, say amen. amen. All kinds of storms, correction storms, perfection storms, but also there are instructive storms. Now you might remember the disciples. As Jesus said, get into the boat and go over to the other side in Matthew chapter 28. And Jesus, you know, they got in the boat and they head to the other side. And when they get just about middle of the Sea of Galilee, here comes the storm. And Jesus was in the storm with them. Jesus was with them. And, and, and Jesus calmed the storm. Don't you remember? He hushed the sea to sleep. And the disciples said, wow, that's cool. Even the wind and the waves and the sea obey him. Instructive storms. And then there are judgment storms. I think of Noah and the flood. Judgment storms. And then there are directive storms. 
Well, that's what we see here in Acts chapter 27. Directive storms. This storm was intended, as we'll read on and you'll see, this storm was intended to bring them to the island of Malta where God was going to use Paul to heal a man who was sick with dysentery. Directive storms. There's all kinds of storms. And then there's the, I don't know what that was, storm. There are a lot of storms in life, things that we go through that leave us with a big question mark. What in the world was that about? Those are the, I don't know what that was, storm. Lots of things happen in our lives that we are not real sure of what God was trying to teach us. What was the purpose of that storm? You know, it was Chuck Smith who said, when God puts you to a test, try to pass it. Because you might have to take it again. Isn't that true? And there's a lot of stuff we go through and we just don't know what the point of that was. I think the thing that we can know, listen to me, when we are in a Eurocliton in our lives, we can know the most important thing is not necessarily that you understand why you're in the storm. The most important thing for you to know is that if you are in the storm, it is better for you to be in the storm because Jesus is in the eye of that storm with you. It's it's better for you. Listen to me close. It is safer to it is safer in the storm with Jesus than it is on land without him. You understand that? It is safer. I don't care what you're going through. Ronnie, you just don't understand. No, I don't. But this one thing I do understand. It is safer to be in the storm than to be on in the storm with Jesus than be on land without him. Because if you're on land without him, you're outside of God's will. If you're in the storm with him, you're inside of God's will. And when you are in God's will, it does not matter what's going on around you. God's going to protect you. Somebody say amen. God is going to protect you. God's hand is upon you. Nothing can harm you. Nothing can hurt you because you are in the will of God. In that storm, God has allowed it. I know that flies in the face of popular teaching that says that if you're a believer, you should never have any problems. Everything should be rosy. There should never be any situations in your life. Listen, that's not what the Bible says. God uses those storms for a purpose in your life. And all the while, oh, God, I want to be strong in you. Lord, I want to be holy. God, I want to be more like you. Hallelujah. I want to be more like you. Really? God says, okay, here's a Eurocliton. Well, now, wait a minute. I wouldn't think about that now. Hold on, partner. See, you're not God. But say amen. God is God. He knows. So there's all kinds of storms. So here we have now the boat in our text is beginning to fall apart, as we've just read. The sailors are wrapping the boat with cables and ropes to gird it up. That's called flapping, hoping to keep the ship together. And they took the sail down because they were afraid to end up on a sandbar. 
So they took down the sail and they let the boat kind of bounce around freely. The next day, according to our text, they lightened the ship and they're bouncing around for many days. Note this, without the sun or the stars, the storm is brutal. And these salty sailors were full of fear and they felt that all hope was lost. Verse 20 in your Bible. So get the scene now. You're in the ship in the midst of the storm. You take away the light. It's pitch black. No stars in the sky. You're in the water. It's up and down, up and down. All you see is the blackness. All you see is the darkness. You're cold. You're wet. You're tired. You're scared. You're hungry. And now you are without hope. Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 25, Paul says, three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned and three times, note this, I was what? Shipwrecked a night and a day have I been in the deep. It's in one of those shipwrecks that Paul floated, listen to me, that Paul floated for a day and a half in the ocean. A day and a half in the ocean at night floating. There's nothing more scarier to me than floating in the ocean at night, there ain't nothing more scary to me than floating in the ocean during the day. <laughs> Can I get a witness? You know, I was <laughs> I'm at the beach a couple of months ago, and I'm you know down there with some with the family and stuff, and and uh, you know I, I I you know I'm 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 out there in the water and stuff, and you know I'm I'm pretty pretty deep in the water. I'm about ankle deep. <laughs> I'm kind of deep in the water, and those guys are out there. Come on out! Come on out! Come on out! And I'm like, no, no, no. You have been listening to Salt and Light, a radio outreach ministry of Pastor Rodney Finch and Calvary Chapel Cary, located in Apex, North Carolina. Join Pastor Rodney Monday through Friday at this same time. For information regarding service times, you can contact us at 1-800-293-0923. That's 1-800-293-0923. You may listen to today's broadcast in its entirety by visiting the Media Library on our website at cccarry.org. We would like to thank you for tuning in to Salt and Light and pray that you have been blessed. Until next time, may you be salt and light.